Today we're going to pray and we'll look in, the, in God's Word, the Scripture, to see if God will teach us something or share something with us that will help us in our walk with Him. So Lord, I ask you this morning to teach us by your Holy Spirit and let your Word bring life to us, Lord. Bring hope to those who are despairing, bring light to those who feel they are in darkness, bring a sense of joy to those that are in despair. Lord, I ask that your word would just have an impact upon our lives this morning. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, today I want to talk to you about, uh, the title of the message is called Disillusioned by God, question mark. Have you ever been disillusioned by God? You know, people are, people do become disillusioned by the Lord sometimes in in many ways. I mean, sometimes we have prayers that we pray that never get answered the way we think they should. Um, Sometimes the Lord doesn't do things the way we think he should do them. You ever had that happen? And, uh, I don't know, we have, we have these expectations sometimes in our hearts about what God is like or about what God is going to do or what we think he should do, and uh, he doesn't come through for us, and uh, we, we kind of get shaken up a little bit. It's almost like we become scandalized, the, the, the offense that comes sometimes because God has his own plan. How many of you know that, that God's plan is not the center of my universe, I'm really around the center of his universe, and whatever that is, what that looks like, sometimes I don't know. But I want to really uh, speak to, to this issue about, you know, the potential of being disillusioned by God. It happens to lots of people. I talk to lots of people about their relationship with Jesus, and I find there are, there are many people in the world today who've been, you know, hurt or discouraged, or so, in some way they have this affected relationship between them and God, and they've been maybe disillusioned by him. Sometimes we get disillusioned by, with God because we get disillusioned with his people. How many of you know that sometimes God's people, we do crazy things, stupid things? But never, you know, you, you should never project onto Jesus what we do. If we do stupid things, don't blame Jesus for it. Blame us. That's how, that's how it should be, because he's perfect. He's perfect in every way. So I want to talk to you about uh, some psalms today. In the, in the Bible, there's 150 psalms, 150 of them, and people have taken and they've kind of categorized them. It's not a biblical thing necessarily, but just how people have grouped the psalms together to understand kind of the content of them. So some of them are called... Psalms of thanksgiving. You know, give thanks to the Lord. And there are psalms about that. Some are called psalms of praise. And in there it teaches you about praise the Lord. Some psalms focus on trusting God. And they're about that. But there's this one category called psalms of lament. Psalms of lament. And uh, believe it or not, the psalms of lament is the largest category. We think, how many psalms of thanksgiving are there? How many psalms of praise? And how many psalms of lament? Well, the lament is the biggest group. There's 54 of them. That's like a third 
A third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And uh, they have a lot to teach us about not being disillusioned with God. About being able to, to go through times in your life when you don't understand, you don't quite get what God is doing, and yet you still maintain your, your faith in Him and your confidence in Him and your relationship with Him. Songs of Lament. Here's some examples. I have just a couple. Why have you forsaken me? That's a question in one of the Psalms of Lament. You know, that's the very words that Jesus Christ spoke from the cross as he hung there. And he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's a Psalm of Lament. Another one is in that same Psalm. Oh my God, I cry by day. But you do not answer. You ever feel that way? You're crying out, you're praying, you're asking God, and he just doesn't answer. And by night, but then I find no rest. I love, I love that God put this stuff in the Bible because this is real life, isn't it? The Lord doesn't hide the fact that he's not, a, he's not like a, what does somebody call it, a slot machine. You, 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 don't, you don't put a quarter in and say, okay, God, you know, somehow we have to realize that he is in control of this universe. And he has a purpose and he has a plan. And sometimes we don't understand it. You know, God does things that seem out of the ordinary for us. Or we, 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 I mean, I have, I'm often asked the question, why does God allow such and such to happen? If God is so loving, why does this happen? Or if God is so powerful, how do you let that happen? And there's no easy answer to those questions. But the fact is, that's how we think. And sometimes we can become disillusioned with, with God. There's another one in Psalm 10. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You know, here I am, Lord. I'm in my time of trouble. I'm looking for you, but I can't find you. And so we, we experience that. And I think the reason why there are so many Psalms of lament is because it is, it is common to the human experience. I'll bet you... If I sat down and talked to you, probably every one of us has had an experience like this at some point in our life. Where are you, God? I've been praying. Oh, Lord, why didn't you come through for me? You know, I believed I was holding on to this promise and it fell through. Or, or whatever it might be, you, you just have this thing that could disillusion you with the Lord. But I, I think these Psalms of Lament, if you look at them and spend some time with them, they can actually help you, even though you have those questions... They can help you remain firm in, in your walk with the Lord. So let's read Psalm 13, verse 1. This is, this is a psalm of lament. Can you, Jeff, I'm popping just a little bit on this. I read an article about, by a guy named Dennis Bratcher. I want to give credit where credit is due because I don't want to be accused of being, what do you call that? Yeah, there you go. Here's what he wrote, and I thought it was really a good comment. The theological significance of a lament is that it expresses a trust in God even in the absence of any evidence that he is active in the world. So, you know, you're, you're looking for this evidence. Is, why isn't God coming through? Why didn't he answer? Why are you hiding yourself? There's those questions that are stirring up in your heart. But even though that's there... Your faith is unshakable. Your, your trust is still there. 
So let me read it again. The theological significance of a lament is that it expresses a trust in God in the absence of any evidence that he is active in the world. Here's a question for you. Can you spend the rest of your life asking that question, why did God allow such and such and still have trust in him? I hope you can. That's what the Psalms of Lament can help us do. It, it can keep us from being disillusioned in our walk with the Lord. So here's how they work. Psalm 13, 1. Usually the first part of the Psalm of Lament, and they're, they're, I mean, they're somewhat different, but there's a certain structure to them. And the first part of it is it, it expresses the crisis, or, you know, why, why am I feeling this way? So in Psalm 13, it's these first couple verses. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Now, you might read that and say, man, is this even, is this even a Christian? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is stuff that we, as followers of Jesus, sometimes have these questions. How long, O oh Lord? Are you going to forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and then have sorrow in my heart all the day. Man, this guy's really going through a bummer. I mean, it's, a, it's like, what in the world's going on here? But, but again, I love the fact that the Lord saw fit to put this stuff in the Bible. Because it's, it's where we live. We, we live with these same questions, not all the time. But, but there are circumstances that come up into our lives. And sometimes these same questions come up. I take counsel in my soul. I have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And then the next part of the, the structure, so it goes from, you know, kind of looking at the cause. And then the next thing is asking God to step in, asking God to actually do something. So verse 3, he says, consider and answer me, O Lord. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. So, so he's asking God to help him. You know, the crisis is, man, where are you, God? Why are you hiding yourself? The enemy's going to overtake me here, but I'm asking you to intervene, to step into this situation. Help me here. That's what he's asking for. And then... Where this, this, this idea of the lament comes in, where we have trust in God, even though you don't see the evidence of him working, is the last part. And see, here's, how he, here's how he stands in the midst of that. I have trusted in your steadfast love. I'll tell you what, man. If God never answers another prayer you pray, he loves you. You know, somehow you have got to look at some of these eternal, unchangeable truths about God. And they become kind of the rock that you stand on. See, I, my faith doesn't rest over here that if, if, if God doesn't do what I want him to do, I'm not going to serve him. That's not where my faith is at. That's, I'm not making a transaction with the Lord. I'm trusting in your unfailing love. That never, ever changes. No matter what goes on around me. And so this guy, he's saying, 
Oh, Lord, where are you? Will you forget me forever? How long are you going to hide yourself? But you know what? With all that, all the things that I'm feeling about my current situation, I'm trusting in your unfailing love. And then he says, uh, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You know, there is this idea that there is a future. There's a, there's a, a future, a salvation, or something coming. That even if he did die by the hand of his enemy, there's this salvation he talks about. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I was talking to my brother uh, Jerry the other day about the, the three Hebrew boys. Remember them? They were going to be thrown into the fire. And, and they said, hey, we know the Lord can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship this image. See, they had, they had an understanding that there was something beyond this life. It's not all about what happens here. That even if we die in your, in your furnace, there's something on the other side of that. There is a salvation from our Lord. And then... The last thing he says in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So you look at this, this answer, you know, how did he remain steadfast when, when his life seemed to be falling apart? And it, and it kind of touches the past, the present, and the future. He, I mean, he's looking at, man, I have this future salvation. Nothing I experienced on the earth is going to affect that. I have this steadfast love of God that's with me always. Nothing, nothing I experience is going to change that. But I also have a history. You see what he said there? He said, because he has dealt bountifully with me. He can look, he can look back into the past of his life and recall, the Lord, you did this, and you did that, and you provided this, and you did that for me, and you blessed me here. I mean, every one of us, has a history of God working. And even though today you may be sitting here saying, why are you hiding yourself, Lord? Why, why won't you answer me? How come you won't come through for me? If you'll stop for a minute and begin to anchor yourself on these things, you can be sustained, e- even if you have those questions. But every one of us has a history of the Lord's work in our life. And I praise God for it. Maybe it's something that happened Last week, maybe it's something that happened five years ago, but don't lose sight of it. You'd be surprised if you read through the Old Testament, some of you have, how often people speak of the Red Sea splitting. It was just an event that took place in the life of this people. And no matter what they were going through, they could look back and say, Lord, we walked across that thing on dry land. When we had an enemy who wanted to destroy us, look what you did for us. You provided the food in the wilderness, manna every day. So they were able to look back on a, on a history that God had done some things. And even though we're struggling now, look what you've done. When David was facing Goliath, he said, hey, Lord, there was a time when I was able to kill a bear and kill a lion. Now, what is this giant Philistine? It's nothing to you. So, so facing our present you know, problem... Look back on your history. It'll give you strength and confidence. So I want to talk uh, as I, I'm going to close up with these. I'm saying close. I've got like 95 scriptures here. but um, I want to focus on those three things to help us you know, remain 
firm, even though we have questions. So one of them was the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's talk about that for a minute. Then we're going to talk about this great salvation, this future that God has for us. And the third thing, let's talk about the history we have with God, the testimony of the Lord in our life. Because those are the things that, at least in this particular psalm, he looked to, that he could, that he could stand on and not be shaken, even though he was questioning all those things at the beginning. So, Psalm 36, 5, it says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. He's basically saying here, there's no limit to the love of God. This person, when he prayed, he says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Can you guys tap into the love of God? That it never changes, that it's immeasurable. You can never measure how wide or how high or how deep it is. I love Psalm 136. There's 26 verses in Psalm 136. And at the end of every verse, it says, his love endures forever. And it'll say a little statement, his love endures forever. Another statement, his love endures forever. Another statement, his love endures forever. And you got to just drive that into your heart, that his love endures forever. And no matter what I'm experiencing on this planet, his love endures forever. And it's a, such a stabilizing factor in our lives. John 15, 13. Jesus said these words, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay his life down for his friends. You know what Jesus is saying? No one can love you greater than what I love you. The greatest love is that someone would lay his life down, and that's what I'm about to do. That's what he did. He, He gave his life for us. No one loves you more than Jesus. Now, you may sit here today and have questions. Why didn't God do this for me? Why didn't he answer my prayer? How come this happens? How did that happen? What's happening over in Israel? What's happening over in wherever? We have all these questions. What's, what in the world's happening in our world? But nobody loves you more than Jesus. That never changes. Never changes. And then at Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives these questions. Shall tribulation, let me ask you that. Are you going to let tribulation remove you from the love of Christ? It's not going to remove his love, but don't get disillusioned by tribulation. Don't let it make you think that he doesn't love you. Tribulation shouldn't affect our understanding that his love is there. What or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. What about distress? Nope. How about persecution? I hope not. What about famine? What if there's no food or water for me? What if there's no food even for my children? It's not going to separate me from the love of God. I might sit down and I might cry out and say, hey, Lord, why? Why don't we have food? Where's the food for me? We're we're in this famine here. Don't forget the love of God is there. The famine. What about nakedness? You have no clothes. What about danger? We're living in a dangerous world. What about the sword? You know, none of these things will separate us from the love of Christ. And I hope if or when ever you have to face any of these things or anything like that, 
that it would never cause you to question the love of God for you. Because that will be an anchor for you. Even though you have the questions, you won't become disillusioned because you know, even though I may not understand what's going on in my life right now, and I don't understand what God's doing, I have no doubt that he loves me, and no one can love me more than Jesus. And I can rest in that no matter what happens in my life. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Well, what about looking to the future? He said, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. There's something to be said about knowing that there is a promise of eternal life, knowing that there is a resurrection. I mean, when we go and we bury our loved ones who know the Lord, we have sorrow, but there's also this such a lively hope. I mean, we know death does not win in the end. And there's this, there's this thing that even if you face death, like the Hebrew children or even Jesus on the cross or the Apostle Paul, you know, where he was giving up his life and he said the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And when you try to compare the sufferings of this life with the glory that shall be revealed, there's no, there's no comparison. It's hard for us sometimes, though, to get our heads wrapped around that because all we see is this world. And if you're living this life of suffering after suffering after suffering after suffering, you kind of wonder, what in the world's going on? But you have to get a glimpse of that eternal glory because nothing that you ever suffer on this life is worthy to be compared with that. And so that's the things I'm talking about here. Uh, Romans 8, 18, I just quoted that. How about 2 Corinthians 4, 17? Now, you... You've got to understand, I'm, I'm pulling out a scripture here, but when you read the book of 2 Corinthians, you're going to see Paul had a life of constant suffering. Persecution. I mean, he was doing God's work, but he was going through some things that most of us, we would ask, why is God allowing this to happen to me? I thought I was being faithful to him. I thought I was serving him. I thought I was doing his will. Why are all these things happening to me? Go read it sometime. He never questioned the love of God, and he never questioned the future glory. And he maintained his walk with the Lord, even though these, these terrible things were happening to him. You know, sometimes we get this idea that when I become a Christian, all my problems go away. Has anybody found that to be true? I got saved and all my troubles went away. No, that's, that's not the way it really works in the world. Paul says there in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, this light momentary affliction, that's what he calls it, being shipwrecked, beaten with stripes, in famine, in nakedness, hunger, peril, perils in the country and perils in the city, rejected, stoned, hungry, without warmth, cold. I mean, and he was going through the things like this guy in the Psalms was talking about. And he calls them light momentary affliction. And this went on for years. It wasn't like, oh, I had a bad day last Saturday. It was a constant struggle with him. And he calls them a light momentary affliction. You know why? Because he understood eternity. He understood that this life is a vapor. It's here for a short time. 
And, and whatever I experience on this earth is never to be compared with that glory. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond, I love what he says here, beyond all comparison. Isn't that awesome? And if you can remember that, if you can remember that there is something on the other side, a promise, a salvation, that it can help you, even though you have a question, and you may ask, where is God, or why did God let this happen, or why didn't God answer this prayer, why didn't God do that? You still know there's something over there in the future. And then one time he says in 2 Corinthians 1, we don't want you to be aware, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I mean, Paul and his companions were undergoing such uh, stress at that time. They were like, we're giving up on life. We think we're going to die. It was beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. It's almost like, Lord, you must be taking us home because what we're experiencing here looks like death to me. But he said, the purpose for all that, he said, was to make us rely not on, our, on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, what happened was in, in that time of, of duress, when Paul was experiencing that, thinking we're going to die or we've already received the sentence of death, was to have the confidence that there is something over there. there there's a future. There's a, a salvation. I keep calling it over there like it's... Hey, over there in the glory seat. But, you know, God was teaching Paul... In the middle of that suffering, don't rely on yourself, Paul. Rely on God who raises the dead. Even if you do die, you know what? There's a future salvation for you. And whatever you experience on this planet will not compare. I love that. And I think that's another thing that will keep you. Remembering the love of Christ endures forever, but knowing that his promise of eternal life is unshakable. It's true. And then finally, we talked about God dealt bountifully with me. Remember that? So we're talking about there's a history. There's, there's a testimony. God has a testimony in your life, things that he's done in you already. Or let me, tell, let me say this to you. If God hasn't done something already in your life, read his word because he's done things all through history with all kinds of people. This is not a fairy tale. It's, it's a book of true things, true history that happened that shows us how God interacts with people. And you'll see story after story after story after story. And you need to understand that there is a history so that when you're facing those questions and the potential of being disillusioned, you can say, you know what, Lord? There was a time in my life when you did this, and I remember that. It seemed impossible, and you brought me through. Or I was at the Red Sea and you split the sea. You know, it's just, God, God gives you a testimony to help anchor your heart in troublesome times. So in Psalm 77, this sounds like one of the Psalms of Lament as well, doesn't it? Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? 
Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And then he says the word Selah, which means stop and think about this for a minute. And what's he start thinking about? Then he said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. Who or what God is great like our God? You see what he did there? He, he had the questions in the beginning. What are you doing, God? I don't really understand what's happening here. But then when he said, I need to just take a break, say law, stop for a minute, think, what, think about this. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start thinking about the things God has done. I'm going to remember the works of old, the things that your hand has done. I want to remember that there is no God like you, even though I have these questions. So I'd like you to stand with me as we close in prayer. And so we're talking today about being disillusioned by God. And what can you do if you have those types of questions? And really, it's, it's three things that we shared today. One is never forget the love of God. Never forget the love of God. And I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're here and somehow you have forgotten that, or maybe, maybe our enemy has convinced you that God really doesn't love you. If he did, he would have done X. Or if he did, he wouldn't have allowed Y. If you need that, then pray this morning, Lord, help me just zero in on the fact that your love is forever. It's unchangeable. And no one loves me more than Jesus. And let that solidify you. Or maybe you're a person who's lost sight of heaven. You've lost sight. What, what's magnified in your eyes is the sufferings of this present world. And you forgot that it's only a vapor. It's only here for a short time. And you're tired. You're, you're angry. You're upset. It's like, why do I have to go through these things? Listen, our time on this earth is a vapor. And God may take care of all your problems. He may not. That's, that's his prerogative. He's God. But there is a place. There's a place. And you should remember that. The eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then maybe you're a person who's here today going through these kinds of questions and you forgot all the good things the Lord did for you. And what you need to do is sit down today and take a Selah break and say, Lord, I need to think about this for a minute. Yeah, I'm going through some times in my life right now, but I remember when you did this and you did that. Maybe you should get a piece of paper out and just jot it down and remember all the good things the Lord has done. And as I said before, if you can't think of the things he's done in your life, maybe it's somebody you know or maybe it's somebody you've read about in the Bible, but just begin to remember the things that God has done. So we're, we're dealing with our past, our present, and our future to help us remain strong when there's a potential for being disillusioned with God. So let's pray. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to help us, Lord. I thank you that you've, you've given us these psalms of lament, so many of them.
because it's a common experience with us who walk on this planet. Until Christ returns, there will be sorrow and pain and crying and tears and death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. And so, Lord, we endure in a world where there is suffering, where there is sorrow, where there is, there is pain. And we, de- we have these questions, Lord. They, they come up in our hearts from time to time. But I pray you'd help us through the teachings of your word to find, to find those elements that offer us an anchor for our soul in those moments that we would never be disillusioned with you. I ask you to help us, Father, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.